Warning, whether or not you're listening in the veil, oh. binge mode contains adult content. Peter, please. All content is valid to a man with a full purse. Thank God. And now, binge mode. Yes! And welcome to Binge Mode. Woo! Woo! Love to podcast. I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. What a great website. Truly tremendous. Incredible. Joining me today, now that he's finished waiting patiently for Pig Widgeon to arrive with the outpost. Where is he? He's small. I know. Be patient, please. Give him time. He's trying. It's a Ringer staff writer, your maester. Jason Concepcion. That's right. And we're here today to answer your questions. But before then, a quick reminder. Every Thursday on Binge Mode Weekly, we'll be diving deep, so deep, deep into the topic that's obsessing us at the moment. And in spring 2018, we'll be delivering Binge Mode Harry Potter. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. You'll be able to find both Weekly and Harry Potter on the same feed. So stay subscribed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please follow us on Twitter at Binge underscore mode. That's at binge underscore mode, a.k.a. the underscore. On today's Binge Mode Weekly, we are responding to your Raven scrolls, answering questions about some of the topics that excited us or maybe pained yes. us this year. Yeah. So we cannot give you the same kind of like blanket beware of X spoiler warning that we usually like to because we're going to talk about a lot of things. We're going to talk right. about Game of Thrones and Harry Potter and Star Wars and the Knicks and Manny Machado and college football coaches. So just stay frosty. Stay as alert as the crystal critters on Crate. <laughs> They're so cute. They really are just darling. Love those little oh. those faces and those oh, little cuties. Shiny little spikes. They're darling. It's time to dive into the 2017 year-end edition of Ask the Underscore. First question from Jake. If you could have as a pet mm. any magical creature from Harry Potter, any magical creature from Game of Thrones, or porgs, oh my. what would you choose? Wow. I offer you the field first. So this so, is a tough one. This is tough because I, I have nothing but love in my heart for all of these <laughs> animals, obviously. Of course. And I want them all to have yeah. good homes yes. and caring companions. Yes. Obviously, everybody knows how I feel about ghosts. Yeah. Protect ghosts. You would like to see him protected. I would like to see him on my television screen sure. in season eight. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. That would be progress. Let's see him at all. I love the dire wolves. I truly do. Sure. Hedwig was a very important part of my life. I love the idea of having an owl yes. and how that sort of instantly signals to Harry and to, to you, you would imagine, wow, I'm in a, I'm in a magical world. Right. This is just a different sort of equation than right. everyday life. The porks seem great, but- Uh-oh. Listen. It's exciting. Guys, I'm a cat lover. I'm sorry. Like, I know that might seem lame when you're actually telling me I can have a magical creature, but here's the thing. Cats are magical creatures to me. Halo. Aw. The love of my life. <laughs> my dearest friend. Check Mallory Rubin's Instagram for proof of this. Best friend power rankings. Yes. Jason is 1B, but he knows Halo is 1A. And, you know, I know the same is true for him and Milton, and that's, that's why we really, we understand each other so well. So, like... When Hermione finds Crookshanks, it's yeah. just beautiful to me. And I actually think that having something that would be normal and commonplace in the regular world and mm -hmm. bringing that into the magical world and saying, this is all kind of the same thing, isn't it? Yeah. Magic is really all around us anyway. I love. Basically, I just can't opt out on Halo ever. So I'm saying cats. I really also love dire wolves. It's great. And an owl seems really cool. I'm. Uh, I, this is a great answer. It's a very on brand, Mallory Rubin answer. I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna. I'm gonna pick Ghost. You know, the Dire Wolves have had it tough. Not many of them left. But is the question a, for us to pick a specific animal from one of the stories or a type of creature? Because if I'm gonna, to pick a specific animal, I would pick Ghost, of course. I'm I think a character. I think it's okay. But with if it's the, a type of creature, I have to stay loyal to cats. I always. think this is a great interpretation. I think it, it's important <laughs> that we interpret this question and the following questions as best we see fit. Okay. I will pick Ghost because I think, you know, listen, he's a great warrior. Mm did some really great scouting, especially in the books. You know, obviously in the, in the show, you don't really see what he does. He's locked in a closet right. for large portions of seasons and just for some reason not around. Why? No one knows. I think the people funding the CGI budget know. Yeah. I think, <laughs> But is, can that even be the reason? 
Well, this is a good aside because one of the things that I've heard posited in various conversations we've had, you know, just around town, (laughs) as we do, (laughs) is that, you know, dragons, because they're fantastical creatures, you can CGI one and and people are just like, oh, that's okay. That's sure. That's what I imagine a dragon looks like. Whereas a dire wolf is, you know, a large dog, essentially, a wolf. And if it doesn't look right, something feels wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's just harder to get that to be accurate. Right. One of the big things in season one was that everyone was like, those are just dogs. Right. My dudes, right. they're not wolves. And they had to recast the animals. Right. Like Nymeria, famously, everyone famously. was like, that's just a dog. <laughs> and dogs are great. That's dogs nothing great. against dogs, but because it is actually just a degree removed yes. from something we recognize. Now, would you want a dragon? As a pet? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, Hagrid. Uh, <laughs> uh, Norbert's I, just over here. As so. a pet, Yes. 100%. First of all, if you can fly. Right. I think the problem then becomes storage. Obviously, a place yes. for it to stay is an issue. Dragons do tend to burn and eat things, occasionally human beings, and I'd hate <laughs> to have that on my conscience. Right. So I'd have to have, I'd have to keep my dragon like on an island somewhere, but I think a dragon, who wouldn't want a dragon? One of the things that's always interesting to me, obviously as someone who loves both Harry Potter and Game of Thrones, is the way that dragons are represented so differently in those stories. Like in Harry, they're outlawed. It's this forbidden thing. And in Game of Thrones, it's like the ultimate signifier of Of. power and impact. Dragons would be really cool, I think. It seems like a lot of work. It's a ton of work. You got to keep that island stocked with livestock, goats, Yeah, and then people come to you and they're like, your dragon ate my goat and then also my my child. child. That's tough. <laughs> that's not a good. That's, that's not good. That's Either not good. I, you know, can we say for sure that Crookshanks or Ghost mm. or even a really feisty Porg wouldn't do anything nefarious to a child? Ghost three thousand percent would. Shaggy Dog would have would do stuff. Ghost is so sensitive though. He's such a sweet yeah. soul. Shaggy Dog absolutely would do stuff. There'd be like missing limbs. <laughs> Yeah, shaggy, absolutely shaggy. eat people's faces. Okay, so in summation, yes. if we're talking about an actual character, yes. we are both picking ghosts. Sure. If we're yes. talking about just creatures mm. at large, I, as a cat lover, have to stay loyal to Halo and say, I would still want a cat. But you're staying with ghosts. No I'm going to stay what. with ghosts. I'm going to stay with the dire wolves. I just love that opening. You're a dog lover. Early, I'm a dog brand. lover. And I just think, you know, as an early scene in, in the first book of Game of Thrones, it's really, it's that scene for me that makes you feel like, ooh, there's other things happening. I have no idea what they are, but you feel these huge wheels in motion. I think the thing that we can say, yeah, for sure, yeah, neither of us would want a toad. No. Sorry, Neville. Sorry, no, Trevor. Out on toads. Sorry, Gran. Yeah. All right. Number two. Yes. From one of the biggest binge heads out there. Super fan. Camilla. She's the best. Always up in our mentions, always supporting the show. Thank right. you, Camilla. A dog lover herself. That's right. And such a supporter of the show that she's looking ahead. She's looking to the future. She's like pulling her best Professor Trelawney, (laughs) gazing into the shadowy orb in front of her and trying to divine the future. Yes. Let's help her. Regarding hashtag binge mode, Harry Potter. Tell us how to prepare for it. Read the books or watch the movies or both. Any particular tip? Yes. Will it be one episode per book slash (laughs) movie? No. My goodness. (laughs) In that that case, each each episode will be 20 hours long. Exactly. Enjoy. So we're not prepared to be too specific here yet because we are still figuring this out. We're still trying to settle on the ideal approach, the ideal pace. But what we are comfortable saying is that we will definitely be doing both books and movies. Yes. And a lot of time will be devoted to the books. Yes. A lot, a lot, a lot of time. It will Definitely not just be the movies. That's correct. Charge up those Kindles. Charge them up, folks. It's a great read, everyone. I've never read the whole series on an ebook. It's mm. one of the only things that I just still have to feel it in my hands. As I have mentioned in a previous seven, I love the feel of a real book. On Kindle, I just, the highlighting feature is great. I think for binge mode, it'll great. be the first time I read it yeah. start to finish on my Kindle because I will want to highlight for, for note-taking purposes. Yeah, but yes, read the books. Read them. Watch the movies with us. Please. We're probably going to do some stuff beyond that. Yes. Beast, Cursed Child. Yes. Harry's School Books. Some fanfic. Come with us to the Wizarding World. Absolutely. Maybe. <laughs> Have a butterbeer with us. The upcoming Harry Potter AR game. That's when you lose me forever. <laughs> 
that's, that's when you that's get, just when I stop showing listen, up to work and you're like, where are you? That's actually when I don't get texts like I almost got hit by a car and I just find out that you have been hit by a vehicle. I forgot to tell you, it almost happened again yesterday. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> See? And I'm not even playing the game yet, but yeah. All right, guys. Number three. Anna, mm. what are your Hogwarts houses? This oh, is easy. God. Quickly. Yes. Let's establish the rules for the listeners. Sure. Are you answering based on what you believe to be true about yourself, or are you sharing some sorting hat-esque digital tests that this you have a, taken? I'm glad that you're framing it this way. <laughs> Both. Okay. Before I ever did the online sorting hat stuff, yeah. I decided what house I was in. Now. I love that because, of course, it is our choices. That's right. The thing is, Gryffindor and Slytherin are kind of like the first houses to really be fleshed out in the books. So it's natural, and of course, Harry and Hermione Gryffindors, one would naturally gravitate towards that fine house with great history. Great That's colors, it. too. Great, great colors. Incredible scheme. colors. Love but I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm Ravenclaw. Learning and wisdom and, and wit, that's me. That's where I want to be. Wit with beyond Luna measure is man's greatest treasure. Yeah. Listen, <laughs> I'm there. That's where I'm at. Okay. In the digital tests that I've taken, it's also Ravenclaw. Always Ravenclaw. Yes. Always Never Ravenclaw. gotten another result. And I don't cheat to try and get, and then let me just say this, for the record, <laughs> I do not amend my questions to try and get into another house. I have never done that. I answer honestly, and I get put into Ravenclaw. Funny you should mention that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take this moment as sure a sign of trust yeah. and faith, not only in our friendship, which I cherish, but yeah. in the bond that I think we've built with our listeners. And yes. I'm going to share something about myself. Yeah. I have taken many, <laughs> many sorting hat tests over the years. Yeah. Many. And when I was initially taking them yeah. back in the days, so this is when I was in college. Yeah. I used to pick the answers that I, I knew would put me in Gryffindor. Of course you would. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I used it's to fine. do it. I it's don't fine. do it anymore. I stopped I at a certain I point. I don't do it anymore. <laughs> I just wanted to feel sure. like I belonged I with these people who I loved so much. And also, the idea of chivalry, of bravery, yeah. of having the courage to try to protect other people, to try to fight for what you believe in, very appealing to me. Of course, I am, in reality, a coward. And so, <laughs> I... Started answering the, the questions honestly. Proud of you. How long after you've been taking these tests did you start answering them honestly? <laughs> I'd say probably like midway through college. So sure. like a couple of years. This like a solid couple of years. Incredible. <laughs> and I started getting Ravenclaw, which I knew in my heart was where I belonged. Where those of wit and learning will always find their kind, Mel. Here's what concerns me. Sure. The fact that I tried to have the test put me in Gryffindor. Right. There are three different interpretations. One, I'm Harry. I made the choice. Right. I told the hat where to put me. Right. Okay, great. That's the far and away most that, charitable interpretation. That said, Harry was, it was Not kind Slytherin. of like out of fear. It was more Not out of, Slytherin. yeah. No. <laughs> Second interpretation. Yeah. As a true Ravenclaw, I was able to see through the test and deduce <laughs> the path to what sure. I perceived as victory. Sure. The least charitable interpretation by far is that it makes me a Slytherin because cutthroat right. means I'm willing to do whatever's necessary right. to get the end that I want. A lot I of want. great wizards come out of Slytherin. No witch, no wizard went bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited for the Harry Potter voice it's right now. The longest sorting hat test that I ever took, it was something like 150 questions. The ringer was just starting. We were like, it was March Madness a couple years ago. People were sitting around eating Roscoe's. And Ooh. someone found this test. It was so long. And it was like, it took a really long time to take it. And this is one of the most embarrassing things that I can share publicly, but I feel compelled. Sure. It gave you like splits. Mm. So it was percentages. Oh, wow. So it didn't just say, which I liked, the idea yeah. like there's a little bit of, of all of these things sure. in you, right? So the final result after this very long period of a collective group effort to take this test was like, I forget the exact percentages, but it was like the majority was Slytherin. Right. And Gryffindor was the next biggest and it was really close. It was like 51 and, you know, whatever. Okay. Right. A couple people are like, what'd you get? 
And I was like, my computer crashed. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got to take it again. I was so my, embarrassed. My computer crashed. And there had been a couple questions that I really was like, truly, they were coin flips for me. And I just answered those questions differently that time. And yeah. then I got a Ravenclaw Gryffindor split, which nice. is a lot more satisfying. It's a lot more satisfying. Wow. I'm really putting myself out there. I mean, Slytherin, listen, I'd rather be don't Slytherin. Don't judge me, guys. I'd rather be Slytherin than Hufflepuff. Everyone knows Hufflepuff's a bunch of duffers. That's what it is. People are really harsh on Hufflepuffs. I, you know what? There's part value of, there. There's value there. I got to say, some of it is the Hufflepuff branding is not great. The name is bad. It's like Gryffindor, awesome name. Yeah. Ravenclaw, wow. You know, Slytherin. Even there, with the kind of snake connotation, there's something powerful and right. sinister, but cool. The yeah. bad boy and the bad girl kind of thing. Right. Hufflepuff is, what? Hufflepuff? Also, yellow and black. Yeah. Steelers colors. Not great. Hard pass. Yeah. Flip Extremely side, hard. though. Extremely hard pass. Cedric Diggory. Yeah. Arguably the coolest and certainly the best looking <laughs> Harry Potter character was a Hufflepuff. Yes, you think that would boost the Hufflepuff brand a bit? Um, Our pets. Hermione should have been Ravenclaw. I mean, I know that the sorting hat similar to Harry yeah, was almost, like, yeah, but I really feel like, you know, that was a... It's kind of a contrivance. I always liked the fact that she wasn't because it, again, represents that when you look at her and you think about her, the dominant trait is, oh, she's a brainiac. She's a know-it-all. She's so smart. Whether you're being, like, rude or kind in the assessment, it's always about her intellectual ability. And the fact that she and the hat decided that there were other things inside of her that could define her life and that it wasn't just about that sort of nominal like primary ability I always thought it was really cool can't believe Neville ended up in Gryffindor I love that so much it's crazy everyone's brave if they believe in themselves number four Mm -hmm. this is a great one for you Chanel asks Sabin, Swinney, Meyer, Harbaugh, Fisher, Leech okay sorted into Hogwarts houses go P.S. if the Tigers are back to back champs oh my god will you Mallory Rubin rock a Clemson t-shirt on the binge underscore mode her reverse jinx will not soon be forgotten. All right. A couple things here. <laughs> this is one of your greatest <laughs> accomplishments, by the way, is picking against Clemson. In case anyone doesn't know. It's an incredible achievement. Last season, co-hosted along with Ben Glixman, one of the weekly episodes of Ringer University, yes. the college football podcast. And I don't have the exact count in front of me, right. but something close to every single week of the season. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I predicted that Clemson (laughs) would lose because I did not think that that Clemson team was good. While I always believed that Deshaun Watson would be a wonderful professional quarterback, I was concerned about the fact that he was on pace to throw nearly 20 interceptions, et cetera. I thought the ACC was weak. Right. And they did win the national championship. Clemson won the national championship. Is is that true? It's true. So that was really tough. (laughs) (laughs) But what I at least attempted to do was sort of position it as you're welcome Clemson fans because you needed the doubt you know if you want to really be up there with the big boys with the Bamas of the world of course you need those people out there being like yeah but Bama ain't played nobody that's right right. so Clemson is in the playoff again I can't this is incredible (laughs) we're getting an Alabama Clemson three-peat yes last couple years with the title game this year it's the semifinal matchup gonna be an amazing New Year's Day I think Alabama's gonna win that game (laughs) Yes. Roll fucking died. I love it. But if Clemson <laughs> wins that game, and if Clemson then beats the winner of Oklahoma, Georgia. Oh, my gosh. I will wear a Clemson t-shirt. This is incredible work. The I will Clemsoning do it. is here. I will do it. Syracuse beat Clemson this season. It did. My alma mater. What an incredible time We were was. together. It was incredible. We were at Ben Lindbergh's wedding. It was incredible. The three of us shared that moment. Lindbergh's family, his, his new family. Syracuse fans. Huge Syracuse fans. They were going crazy. The Orange had blessed their union. You refused to watch it until was so it was nervous. over. I was so nervous about jinxing it. Checking on my phone. I will wear the fucking Clemson team. Wow. The good thing is I root for a lot of sports teams that wear orange, so I can seamlessly incorporate it into my wardrobe. No problem. As for the actual question, let's see here. This is good. Okay, so in case anyone isn't aware, Alabama coach, Nick Saban. Clemson coach, Dabo Sweeney. Ohio State coach, Urban Meyer. Michigan coach, Jim Harbaugh. And no longer Florida State coach. Now Texas (laughs) A&M coach, Jimbo Fisher. And Wazoo's Mike Leach. Okay. 
Here's my blanket answer. Every college football coach is a Slytherin. Yes. For sure. 100%. You have to be. You can't not be. The college football recruiting right. world is exactly savage, cutthroat. Bags of money exchanged in dark parking lots. This year. Yes. Early signing day for the first time. <laughs> and watching the impact that this has had on Nick Saban, whose whole thing is champions never sleep. You know, he wins the title, wakes up the next right. day, gets back on the recruiting trail, eats a little Debbie's oatmeal cream pie. Nick Saban eats an oatmeal cream pie every single day. Just throwing that out there every time you give me grief about my dietary habits. Listen. He's doing fine. Okay. He's, he's <laughs> doing fine. Yeah, sure. He's doing fine. He's doing all right. I can see him looking around and saying, wait a minute. Right. I was the master of this domain. 100%. They changed the rules on me. The 24-7 composite rankings, which like factor in all the different recruiting rankings from major services and say this is one master ranking. Mm -hmm. So far, based on the early signing period, believe Bama had just one of those players. Clemson had four. Georgia had three. So I'm like, oh my God, is Nick Saban suddenly a Hufflepuff? But no, I can't go that far. He's still a Slytherin. He's still the champion. The only person on this list I'm prepared to put in another house is Mike Leach. He's a Ravenclaw. He's a, he's a true scholar. He really is. He is. When he wasn't employed, he was like, I'm just going to go kick it in Key West. Find me if you must. I just think that, to your earlier point, there's no way to assemble a competitive college football team or a college basketball team without kind of pushing the rules, yeah. venturing into the dark side. Also wandering things. into gray areas and inhabiting them. Harbs, Harbaugh is also probably a Ravenclaw, though. Yeah. He's yeah, a scholar, too. It's great. Great pants. Always pressed. Yeah. Freshly pressed khakis. <laughs> Once got Stanford to spend an obscene amount of money making him a custom bathroom. That's a flex that I just absolutely appreciate. Now that he's at Michigan, he just guzzles milk. <laughs> like our own Luke Skywalker. <laughs> just chugging milk. Everyone's right. a Slytherin with a little Ravenclaw in them. Number five from Nolan. Yeah. Which would be more important to you guys in the next five years? Okay, so we have a time frame. Sure. Five years. Which would be more important to you guys in the next five years? Your favorite team. So Knicks for Jason, Orioles for Mal, I assume, shrug emoji, wins a championship, or George R. R. Martin completes a song of ice and fire. This is easy, to be honest. Listen, I love the Knicks. The Knicks are a huge part of my life. I watched them beat the Celtics last night. We're taping this the Friday before Christmas, so you'll be hearing this obviously later. But uh, they beat our boss's beloved Celtics, Frank Nilakina, Frankie Smokes, locked up Kyrie Irving late in the game, locked him up. Michael Beasley. MVP. Michael MVP. Beasley. Michael Beasley, the guy who wears three watches one on Wait, each wrist. I thought that was Kevin Clark. <laughs> Kevin Clark but wears I'm one bummed. watch that's the size of three watches. <laughs> Michael Beasley wears three individual watches. One on each wrist and then like a hue blow on the ankle. Michael Beasley, the man who proclaimed that only someone who is using 11% of their brain could figure out that the human race only uses 10% of its brain. Michael Beasley went off and absolutely buried the Celtics last night. And I got a lot of joy out of it. The Knicks have brought me a lot of joy and pain over the course of my life. They will continue to do so. I'd love to see them win a championship. They won haven't won a championship since 1973. It's a long-ass time. That said, hey. Wow. I need this story to get finished. Wow. In definitive fashion. Not only that. You know, the world has been okay without, uh, without the Knicks winning a championship for the last 40-some-odd years. Right. I believe in my son, Chris Stapps Porzingis. I don't, I don't think he needs the crutch of some kind of like magical choice that I would make. Okay. I think he could do it without, without me picking him. George needs to help. He's not going to get there in five years. Five years? He's not going to get the story What if this question years. didn't include a five-year time frame? Would you answer differently? <sighs> uh, it's a no time frame, which would be more important. Basically just in the rest of your life then. Because like then, then you'd, be, okay. you'd be choosing a path potentially where you never saw the Knicks win a title. I've made my peace with that a long time ago, to be fair. Long, long, long right. time ago. Long time ago. You haven't ago. quit on George yet. I haven't quit on him. And I, you know, the thing is like, here's the thing about George. This is a guy who, who's been writing his whole life, toiled in the, in the kind of content minds of television, writing Beauty and the Beast, which is a show. I've watched some of them on YouTube because I, I remember them as a kid and kind of been fascinated. And then I went back on YouTube and watched them just because, and they're freaking terrible. <laughs> 
<laughs> and he wrote a lot of like the newer Twilight Zones, like the reboot of Twilight Zone. This is a guy who who toiled in these kind of anonymous writer minds for a long, long time. And then to get famous this later in life and really write something that um, has captured the imagination of the world and to famously not, not be it. able to finish, that's devastating. And I don't want that for him. I want him to finish it. I, want, I really want and need him to finish it. You know, the Knicks, like I've a long, long time ago, I'm like, they're never going to win. I'm never going to see it. And it's fine. I can wow. live like that. I can live like that. I get a lot of joy out of them anyway. I've watched them win like 16 games in a season. Like, I can do it. <laughs> right. I need this story to get finished. Oh, my goodness. Okay. This is really hard. Okay. I'm going to share a story with you. Is it, is it you crying yesterday right across from me when, <laughs> when you found out that the Orioles announced they would not trade Manny Machado? It's actually not that story, though. We can talk about that as yeah. well. When I was 20 years old. Sure. And I was an intern at... Sports Illustrated. Yes. This was my dream. Yeah. All I wanted to do growing up was write for Sports Illustrated. Well, actually, for a long time, I wanted to be an architect. And then I was like, I can't draw and I'm bad at math. Let's come up with a new goal. (laughs) Plot twist. (laughs) And then I wanted to work at Sports Illustrated. Got the internship. The summer between my junior and senior year of college, show up. They put you in this orientation room. Right away. First thing. It's an auditorium full of all of the Time Inc. editorial interns. So all these kids. Yeah, they're all, all their dream, too. All of them. An intimidating group. And they made everyone stand up and share one fact. One fact. That's it. Okay. And so it's all these people who are like, here's what I wrote my third thesis on. And here are the 17 languages I speak. And here's why I'll be able to finish A Song of Ice and Fire if (laughs) George R. R. Martin doesn't. And I stood up in front of a room full of strangers. Everyone in that room was trying to impress everyone else. And I said, hello. My name is Mallory Rubin. I go to Syracuse University. Yeah. And my fact is that I will only be able to die happy if the Orioles win a World Series in my lifetime. Wow. That was the one fact that I chose to share with all those people. It's unbelievable. That is how much the Orioles mean to me. And like 150 people were like, this woman is a lunatic. (laughs) (laughs) It's like quietly backing away from you. Exactly. Yeah. The Orioles mean so much to me. Yes. It is a huge part of one of the most important relationships in my life with my father. I need to see yeah. them win. The best sporting event of my life. You know this about me. Yeah. This is like pathetic. I root for the Okay, I root for the Ravens. I root for the Knicks. Look, I root for the Ravens who have won two Super Bowls, right? I grew up as a Maryland Terrapin fan. I got to see the Terps basketball team win a championship. I went to Syracuse. They also won a championship. The best sporting event of my life was the Orioles finally making the playoffs during my like conscious fandom years. And making the wild card game and beating you, Darvish, and the Texas Rangers. That was three hours of transformative <laughs> bliss for me. And it didn't matter that they went on to play the Yankees and lose. Right. It just mattered that for a moment, yeah. I really believed that they had a chance. And it was yeah. the only time in my life that I'd ever felt that way. And it meant so much to me. Despite all that. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Incredible stuff happening. Because of the nature of the question. Yes. And the five-year time frame. Mm. I am going to pick George finishing A Song of Ice and Fire. Because I have no faith in the current Orioles regime putting together a championship team. We'll get to that a little more later. Sure. Game of Thrones means so much to me. It's a huge part Yes. Of binge mode and of our friendship Obviously. and our partnership yes, and true. of what we've been able to enjoy together. That's true. It is an incredibly large part of my life, not only professionally, but personally. I love it's the story. story. I care about it so much. Incredible story. And I, I honestly think that I would feel a void forever if I don't get to experience the end of the story. And add in this variable. 
we don't know if the end of the show will be satisfying. That's right. We don't know that. So if it is, maybe we change our answer again because we say that was, wow, that was great. We have something here. But we will never know unless he actually tells us how the creator of the story, how the man who crafted this wanted to see it through. And that is crushing to think about. It really is crushing. I need George to finish this. It cannot feel good. No. Yeah, I need to see it finished. I would really like the Orioles to win a World Series. I'd love that. That would be great. If the Knicks win, that's it. I walk the earth like shirtless. I'm just going to walk into the woods and you'll never see me again. That's it. I'm done in this world. I need George to write a story in the next five years, but I need the Orioles to win a title in my lifetime. Same. Okay. Same answer. Elizabeth asks, what are some of your favorite fantasy or any genre book series beyond HP and A Song of Ice and Fire? Great, great, great Ooh. question. Man, so many. God, where do you even begin? We I can keep know. it pretty tight here because that's that's sure. almost its own podcast. Maybe we'll revisit this topic at length at some will. point and go a little deeper. I but think we will. just a very quick answer here. Sure. Harry Potter and Song of Ice and Fire are my favorites. Yeah. I love Lord of the Rings. Same. And The Hobbit. Incredible. And everything that Tolkien has done. It's masterful. I like Narnia. I like Narnia as well. I really, really, really love his Dark Materials, the yeah. Philip Pullman trilogy. I to read it, but it's on my list because of Guess your suggestion. What? Just got the box set as a Hanukkah gift. Already have it. Nice. Now you have one too. And I look forward to one day being able to answer this question by recommending the Kingkiller Chronicles mm. for people because- <laughs> Shasta Ben Lindbergh. Literally, just constantly, Ben is asking me about yeah. this. And he's like, I just don't understand why you need to reread Goblet of Fire for the 97th <laughs> time instead of just reading The Name of the Wind like you've told me that you would. One day, Ben, one day. I've been reading The Magicians. It's okay. I'm coming around on it. I don't love it because it, ha- it presents an idea that I find- repellent, right. which is that magic is like hard and right. bad instead of amazing and wonderful. See, that was the thing, just to prove to people that we don't always agree on things. The two things that I liked about The Magicians, and I've read through book two, I enjoyed the technical take on magic, even though I didn't think I would. Right. You know, as kind of presenting it as a true skill. As a person who went to music school, right. I enjoyed that aspect of it. Oh, I have to practice my fingerings and things like that. And two, I thought the villain in book one was incredible. Yes. I loved the villain. Yes. Loved the villain. I liked when they turned into foxes and fucked in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like the magicians. This is not a book series, but Watership Down, I know as well. Oh, my we God. Both. Watership Down, which is What a coming truly to beautiful book. Incredible book. I mean, if you read the first two pages of that book, you read the whole thing. It's incredible. It's about— One uh, of the reasons I knew I was going to, like, lost is because Sawyer yes. always has a copy of Watership Down. A book I always recommend to people that is a series, although there's only—the author, Nicola Griffith, has only written the first book, is Hild, which is kind of—it's more of historical fiction about a figure from the first millennium England or Britain— named St. Hild and just her adventures in England at that time. It's really cool. I bought a copy of that per your recommendation. It's great. I recommend to anyone who would like to read who's who's on a Game of Thrones hiatus or a Song of Ice and Fire hiatus is looking for something to read, try Hild. Another thing that I would recommend to people that you don't really hear about often, and I, I never quite understand why, the Fairyland series. Mm. First book is The Girl Who Circumvented Fairyland in a Ship of Her Own Making. And... This was back when I was still at SI. One of my former bosses, Matt Bean, like pulled out a little like a magazine Mm. reviews from EW or something about it. And he was just like, this seems like something you'd be into. There were, I think, only two books out at the time. There are five books, some other shorter stories mixed into the series. And it is just beautiful. It is so sweet and gentle and such a lovely and loving exploration of the power of friendship and imagination. Mm. I really can't recommend it highly enough. They're for a slightly younger audience, but not in a way that is at all like alienating or diminishes what you feel like you're getting out of them. There's beautiful character development and world building. They're just really lovely. So I would recommend those. I would also say The Wool Books by Hugh Howey were books that I was surprised at the quality of writing and and the suspenseful nature of the tale. And then the first three Dune books are very good. The first one is... Incredible. Incredible. You know how I feel about Dune. I Uh, I love Dune. The first Dune book is amazing. How many times can I cry on one podcast? (laughs) Jason knows this story. (laughs) Dare you tell it. Just a very quick version because I don't want to totally lose it. When I went off to college, it's a very emotional time for me. Exciting but emotional. And I got there and I said goodbye to my parents and I was like a fucking wreck. And I was excited for the next journey of my life, but I was also sad. And I'm unpacking and I'm settling into my new dorm room and I open a box and there's a copy of Dune. Great book. (laughs) 
read it. <laughs> and I open it, and it's from my dad, and he's a handwritten inscription on the inside cover. Mal. <laughs> Here we go. There are lots of great books, and I suspect you'll find this one up to snuff, but only one you. Good luck. It's beautiful. And I read it, and I loved it. It's a great book. Not sure I'd want to wear a suit that recycled my own urine. Well, listen, on a desert but- planet like Arrakis, it's necessary. <laughs> Second book is is weird but good, and the third book is better. But the first book should be read by everyone yeah. who cares about fantasy and sci-fi. Okay, we'll return to this topic at yeah. length one day. Next. Oh! Speaking of something that'll definitely be its own podcast yes. one day. From Shannon, Stranger Things, dot, 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 discuss amongst yourselves. Ooh, we watched this, yes. uh, the second season, kind of online together. I enjoyed the second season quite a bit. My hot take, is it even a hot take? I'm not sure, is that I liked season two better than season one. There was just more stakes for the characters. The characters, had they were more fleshed out. There was actual like longing and heartbreak and a history there because of season one. I really enjoyed it. I liked it. I liked it too. Yeah. I don't really totally get the backlash to Stranger Things. Like I do understand fundamentally that when something when that much hype develops yes. around something, inevitably right. it almost always fails to live up to the bar, not even that it actually established, but that people have come to think it established. Yes. It like reminded me of when you have this really great meal and you spend all this time thinking about it and talking about it and you can't wait to like taste that bite again, to have it hit your tongue and the flavors explode in your mouth. And you go and you get it and it's still delicious. It's the same piece of meat but it disappoints you somehow because you've idealized it so much in your own mind. That's Mm -hmm. sort of what the Stranger Things season one to two gap felt like to me, at least in terms of critical response. I loved, we loved the emotional weight and heft of the Hopper 11 storyline. That That was was really beautiful and surprising. the soul of the show. I think there was a, a little bit of an element of, oh, this sort of isn't, you're not seeing this world necessarily through Mike's eyes anymore. Right. Like some of the focus and the weight and the perspective shifted away from the core kids, but ultimately in a way that I thought was effective and that yeah. helped expand the world without it ever like losing its anchor. Right. Was not a fan of the the bottle episode. That was bad. With Eleven going right. off. That was to like find. a different, that was a strange, like almost like a totally different show. Yeah. I was not into that at yeah. all. Obviously there are some notes of just, total predictability like poor Samwise spoiler alert he was always gonna Uh, get got you know I quite liked all the dart stuff I think the idea of finding a monster and thinking it's your pet and feeding it clearly one of the worst candies in the world and then having it eat that candy as proof that that candy is something a monster would eat I'm very satisfying I'm a fan of any any fiction that that poses the question of can a thing resist what it was born to do you know dart obviously is born into this world to be a monster, but could you raise it with enough love that he wouldn't right. be a monster? But I love, I, I do love like Hellboy. There's, there's a lot of examples of this throughout fiction, but I love questions like that. You Me know, too. can you resist your destiny? I also just really liked the school dance at the end. Yeah, I know you. <laughs> Sweet Dustin. Oh, and another just thing want him to be happy. that we both noted is a decided Harry Potter influence in a lot of these episodes. Oh my God. Yeah, it, it all of the stuff with Will yeah. just screamed Harry Voldemort yeah. Horcrux connection and not knowing how or when to block your mind and yeah. letting a connection that you have but don't want allow someone or something else to turn you into a weapon. Yeah. A lot of Harry there. A lot of Harry. A lot of Harry there. We'll say... Not a fan of what happened to the cat. <laughs> that was a tough Not into that That at was all. a tough one. That was really tough. Number eight. Peter, this is for you, Mel. Okay. Will you cry oh my God. when Manny Machado gets traded? We all know the answer to this. <sighs> Listen. <laughs> I don't want to be hyperbolic. Okay, Because don't. as you know, measured takes are really yes. my thing. Pumping the brakes <laughs> as we speak. If the Orioles trade Manny Machado, it will be the worst thing that has ever happened to me as a sports fan. Wow. I mean that sincerely. I should add that, as I mentioned, the Orioles yesterday announced that they would not be trading Manny Machado. Now, who knows if that's true? Right. But when that came across the MLB Slack yesterday, <laughs> we were getting ready to tape the Last Jedi episode of Finch Mode. Right. And you began to weep. I began to weep. <laughs> Fairly All I heard freely. Was, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Look at MLB Slack. Oh, my God. And then you wept. So 
Sometimes a, a thing that happens to me, yeah. just in life, but specifically with the Orioles, is that my joy, in part because it's so rare in that particular realm, is so fierce that it leads me to tears. The Orioles, when they clinched the AL East yeah. a couple years ago, yeah. it was on my birthday. It was September 16th. What a gift. And I had been recording the game. And at that mo- the moment, I looked at my phone and I got an, an, a push notification from the MLB app and a text from my dad at the same time. And I just started crying at son of a gun, just in the middle of the restaurant. And then I went home and I watched the game. Adam had gotten me an Adam Jones jersey as one of my birthday gifts. I put it on. It was huge. It was like wearing a dress, but also felt like, like, a, like a warm hug. And I watched them celebrate and run around and throw pies in each other's faces. And it was beautiful. <laughs> so just the prospect of that news being real. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure it is. You know, Dan Duquette basically was like, if the offers don't get better soon, we're going to stop actively shopping him. That is, of course, not really the same as saying right. we're not definitively yeah. said. Not trading. We will not trade him right. no matter what. Of course. There's still a chance that they will trade him before the season even starts right. because one of the schools of thought in baseball is that you're going to get a higher yield the longer the other team has the player. He is right. a free agent after the season, so they could move him at the deadline to a contender who is motivated and would presumably be willing to give a lot. Or they could move him now when they think they're going to get more because that team is going to have him for a year. And one of the things around the Manny discussions is this idea of a 72-hour window to negotiate an extension and how a lot of the teams that are trying to acquire him would require that. Right. It's pretty simple to me. The fact that they do not think they can re-sign him, that they have basically given up on the idea that he would want to stay or that they will pay him enough money to convince him to stay is inconceivable to me like it's it's I'm sorry like the Orioles are not the A's or the twins they actually do have the money to spend Angelos has the money to spend so spend the money on a generational superstar why do you trade good players you trade them to get prospects in the hopes that maybe if you're lucky and you develop talent properly, you will one day have a player as good as Manny Machado. You already fucking have him. Why would you give up? I don't understand. What did they read? What did they give that money to Chris Davis and Mark Trumbo for? Why are they not extending Jonathan scope? They still have a chance. They've made the playoffs three last six years. Yes, they have. Like they're not totally out of it yet. They will be. If they trade Manny, Zach Britton tearing his Achilles is devastating. And I think, if anything, it makes it more likely that they trade Manny because they're just going to say, this is it. We have to punt. It's time to rebuild. The only thing worse than the Orioles trading Manny Machado is the Orioles trading Manny Machado for a poor return, which I'm fairly certain is what would happen. And also, if they get young pitching prospects, I'm supposed to be excited about that? When was the last time they developed a pitching prospect? Dylan Bundy was supposed to be Cy Young. Like, he, this year finally was sort of okay, and I celebrated like he was Cy Young. <laughs> Get back to me when Kevin Gaussman's ERA isn't is like incredible. 900. This is and incredible. then I'll have faith that if you trade for Michael Kopech, you can turn him into something. This is incredible. Yes, I will cry. Sorry, that was the answer <laughs> to the question. <laughs> Manny is my favorite player on my favorite team. It yeah. would crush me. I just don't know how else to say it. It would crush me. Okay, number nine. Yeah. From Ken. This is for you, Jay. Yeah, let's do it. With the gift of hindsight. Yeah. Ooh, this is a good one. This This is is an NBA draft question. question. With the gift of hindsight, would you rather have Dennis Smith Jr. or Frankie Smokes? Listen, this is a good question. Dennis Smith Jr. has been, he's averaging what it was like, per 36 numbers, 18 points a game, five assists. He's shooting now, shooting 39%. That's okay. Can you just share with anyone who might not be familiar his famous tweet from his youth. Yes, Dennis Smith Jr. Since deleted, by the way. Dennis Smith Jr., November 5th, 2012. That's not that long ago. At 11.01 p.m., he twat. Everybody has God-given talents. Mine just so happens to be slanging this wood in my pants. (laughs) 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 Yeah! What a legend. Denny, <laughs> let's do that thing. It's <laughs> tremendous. <laughs> anyway, okay, so in, in hindsight, I would love it if the Knicks would have taken Dennis Smith Jr. because he's a guy who has that kind of star potential next to Chris Stapp's Porzingis. That said, I'm not hating on Frank at eight. Like, that's a good pick. His three-point shooting is up to 34% lately. He's been much more aggressive. He's trusting his handle more. 
And as I mentioned earlier in this podcast, locked up Kyrie Irving last night, shows all the tools to be a real defensive difference maker in the league, has great length. You could see him really being a devastating player in the, in the kind of modern switching defense that is the way defenses play today in the NBA, on the perimeter, switching between big and little. I like it. And again, it's asking a lot of the Knicks in terms of player development, a thing they've historically not been good at. But that's a good pick. That's good value there. That said, Dennis Smith Jr. is like slanging I, it. He's slanging. He's slanging it. The wood is being slung. Number ten, Woo! Eric. In fantasy or sci-fi, what do you look for that identifies to you that this fictional world is quote well constructed? Mm. Are your judgments based more on detail and self-referentialism, or the rules put forth, or more on the vastness of scope? And fantastical characters. Great question. Phenomenal question. I think the answer is all of the above. Yeah. You know, there are so many fantasy stories out there, and a lot of them have merit. The ones that we respond to most, we're doing so for various reasons. Yes. The key reasons, I think, are the character building, the world building, and the rules of the universe making sense. Yeah. You know, for for me, certainly the surest fire way for me to check out of your story is the presence of a deus ex machina. Exactly. If I feel like you are making up the rules as you go, inventing a solution to suit the purposes of the moment, and that I as a reader did not understand that that was possible in advance, I'm out. I'm out. Or at least I'm never going to invest fully. You know, part of the true brilliance of Harry Potter and J.K. Rowling's mastery as a storyteller is that you really do see and believe as you're reading, oh, she had this the whole time. She had mapped out the story and figured it out. And so when, when spells or magical elements or decisions or characters or things come into play, it doesn't feel like Harry literally pulled it out of the air. You knew chapters, sometimes Books. Often books, there's this thing called the two-book rule that fans like to talk about in advance that this was going to be a thing that the characters knew about and could call upon. That really matters. Yeah, I agree with that. The thing, like, George, more than anything, is a master world builder. And I'm glad Eric brought up self-referentialism because this is kind of a thing that we have touched upon with Loot Train, the (laughs) the idea of naming things. The way that characters in a world refer to the events in the world is important. And one of the things that George is so good at is is having these characters have different terms for things that happen, slang terms for different people, and characters have nicknames, sometimes different in different parts of the world. And that makes a world come alive. You really feel like, oh, when I don't see these characters, when they're off page, they're having their own conversations, talking about the things that are going on in the world. And it's that feeling of even when you're not reading about a specific thing, you know, Whatever is not happening on the page, you feel that there's this other part of the world that's alive, that's teeming, there's things going on there. And, and when you catch up with those characters and those events, again, you feel the weight of that because of the way the characters speak to each right. other, refer to the world in ways that make you understand that, oh, things have been happening. Totally agree. Like It just allows you to buy in yeah. to the richness and fullness of the world. Yeah. So that is really important. I mean, I think if the world and the characters who are occupying it and the things that those characters are interacting with don't feel rounded out and full, you can't really allow yourself to escape. And that's what you're trying to do when you're reading these stories. Yes, agree. Just a quick little bonus here at the end because we've been getting this question. Yes. And it's extremely touching that people care to ask us this. This one's from Michael, but again, we got it from a few folks. How did you guys meet? And how did your friendship blossom into what it is. It's a great, it's a great question. Well, we were both at Grantland. Mm-hmm. We hired around the same time, yep. really. Yep. I think we did like one piece together. You were living in Los Angeles. I was living in New York. We did one piece like about Game of Thrones. Right. It was like a conversation piece. And then you edited a piece I did about Harry Potter. And then I met you briefly when I came to visit the Grantland office. So the back in the Grantland days, there we were both on a Game of Thrones podcast. Yes. Watch the Thrones. Right. But we did not do segments together. We did not do segments Ever. together. I did Never a segment did. with Chris. That's Chris correct. and Andy would do a segment. That's right. And then I would do a segment with Chris in LA, and you would do a segment with Andy in New York. As Master Yoda might say about this, we are what they grow beyond. <laughs> You're going to say blind they were. <laughs> and we did one Grantland live show That's together, right. a Watch the Thrones live show in Brooklyn. Oh, man. Yeah. And we were like, hey, what's up? 
What's up? Cool to do this with you. Yes. And kind of shared a... I, I remember one of our first bonding moments was actually at that show because, if I recall, this was season five. Season five. Game of Thrones. Yes. And that live show was between the penultimate episode and the finale. <laughs> That's right. And Chris and Andy... That's right. <laughs> ...picked... They did it in advance of who won the season, right. and they picked Jon Snow. As the winner, right? And we had this moment where we looked at each other as like, book readers, and we were like, should we tell them? Right. Nah. The, <laughs> yeah, and it was great when they did it live because a good portion of the audience was like, nah. they were just like uh, And that was, I really think, our first, one of yeah, our yeah, first yeah, yeah. moments where we were like, oh, this book bond for yeah. us, this is special. Yeah. Let's explore this more. That's right. And then we wrote the piece together at the end of season five. That's right. It was fun. That was great. Great fun. Very fun. And then we started working at The Ringer. That's right. And really it was, our friendship was forged over literally countless hours, seven days a week, four months in a podcast studio. That's right. If you don't like a person even like a little bit, a murder could occur in those situations. Oh my God. We had the pleasure of working together a couple times during after the Thrones. After the Thrones. So many Thrones. Watch the Thrones, After the Thrones, and Talk the Thrones. So many Thrones. We shared a couple After the Thrones. That's correct shows together that were delightful. But even then, primarily, the workflow for that was that Chris and I would screen the episodes together in LA and you and Andy would screen the episodes together in New York and then you would sometimes fly out. You weren't living here yet. So it was really, we knew that we shared this passion. We really liked each other. But it was not until Jason moved to Los Angeles and we started working on binge mode. Literally like five days. The day you got here, basically. You came for a meeting. That's right. And we were just like, you're going to do this. Okay. And then... That was it. That was it. We just discovered how much we had in common and how many shared interests and passions we had. And being able to do something like binge mode Game of Thrones at all, but certainly hopefully well. Yes. Required a level of commitment and borderline insanity and certainly I think (laughs) vulnerability to say, I care about this thing this much. Please don't judge me. Right. And that was... That was where we found it. That's where that's, that's safe where, space. That's I where can be myself in front of you, exactly. and you will allow me. I can make to be myself. dumb voices and never feel judged about it. I love the voices; they're yeah. really special. They're really special. Thanks, pal. And now we're best friends. Yay. <laughs> All right, guys. We solemnly swear that we are up to no good. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today, that you are as excited as we are for the holidays and for Binge Mode Harry Potter in spring 2018. Obviously, we hope that you will join us again next Thursday for the first Binge Mode Weekly of 2018. We will be discussing... Can't wait. ...the fourth season of Black Mirror, which drops on Netflix on December 29th. Very excited. would encourage you to please go back and listen to the Black Mirror episode that we already did on our three favorite episodes from seasons one through three, and then you'll be ready to chat about season four with us. Until then, happy holidays. Mischief Managed. Ha <laughs> My question for Ask the Underscore, yeah. and I think as a co-host of Binge Mode, I uh-huh. get to submit a question, is sure. will you please grace me with one more? Guy Guy right. <laughs> You're great. I am ready to regret I can't wait to watch season two of The Crown over the holidays. We're just going to be saying Kyburn to each other the whole time. Every time he comes on, I'm like, oh, wow, Kyburn. (laughs) (laughs) Looks good, cleaned up. He's got his hair swept back, a little mustache, a little trim, a little mustache. I still don't trust him. Certainly not around a corpse. No way.